Here's the rundown for this edition of the Cigar Dave Show. Number one, the FDA, or as I refer to it, the FUDA, files appeal after the cigar industry's big win in a federal lawsuit last August. Number two, ultra-liberal actress Alyssa Milano whining after backlash to her GoFundMe appeal for her son's Little League team. Number three, Stamford, Connecticut School Board hates veterans. And number four, Venezuelan dictator Nicolas Maduro forbids top presidential opponent from holding office. Sound familiar? This is the Cigar Dave Show with the General. Don't get me started on the FUDA. Don't get me started on the Stanford, Connecticut School Board. Don't get me started on brainless Biden going after Venezuela because they're not going to hold fair elections. Lots to get to today as always. It is your global five-star general, alpha male-in-chief, Cigar Dave, the general front and center, Humidor 1A Command Center Alpha, and as always, I extend to you my long-ass greetings and salutations, a long-ass snappy salute, Semper Delictatio, always pleasure, long live the Alpha, make masculinity great again, screw the enemies of pleasure, screw the Marxist, hashtag, MAGA, hashtag Trump 2024. The FDA, or as I refer to it, the FUDA, as you know, many years ago, it's got to be, I can't remember how many years, maybe it's 10 years now that they went after the cigar industry because they created this, under the Obama administration, a the Family Smoking Prevention Act, and there was a provision that allowed the FDA at a point down the road to deem cigars as part of that regulation. And of course, they had to go through various hoops to be able to do so, and they regulated cigars or attempted to regulate the cigar industry, but they used junk science. Everything the FDA is junk. Whether it is telling people how safe a poisonous vaccine is, or it involves not regulating our food supply, or even dog treats from China. They have the wherewithal to go after cigars when it bothers nobody, when it does not affect food or drugs. I don't remember anywhere in the FDA, in the in, in Federal or Food and Drug Administration, that it says FDA or FDCA, Food and Drug and Cigars Administration. So the cigar industry, several years ago, filed a federal lawsuit in the District of Columbia. And after hearings and going back and forth, last August 9th, Judge Amit Mehta issued a ruling in the lawsuit filed by the cigar industry. There was the Cigar Association of America, the Cigar Rights of America, the, um, at the time it was the International Premium Cigar and Pipe Retailers Convention, now it's the Premium Cigar Association. They all got together and filed a lawsuit. And the judge in that case ruled in favor of the cigar industry, striking down all FDA regulations on premium cigars. He said, essentially, that you cannot regulate premium cigars. The FDA didn't go through the the, the correct protocol. They also basically looked at junk science. They manipulated the data in the, in the various studies. So the judge 
gave a big rebuke to the FDA. Big victory. And at the time, we celebrated that victory, but I said very clearly, it's not over, Rover. This is just the beginning. And I predicted that the FUDA would appeal. And they did in September, and this past week, they filed the, their response to that appeal, or they, they filed the, the briefing on the appeal, making their arguments. And once again, the same old arguments, basically trying to not differentiate between premium cigars and mass market cigars. They went through their same old nonsense that all cigars are bad, that youth use premium cigars, there's no evidence premium cigars are safe, and that unregulated premium cigars would lead to youth usage. We know that's all nonsense. And in their filing, of course, they want the FDA, they're saying that the judge should have done one of two things. Either he should have allowed the FDA to just amend the various uh, regulations, or that they should have just vacated certain parts, but the FDA should still have the right to regulate premium cigars. So we'll see what a three-judge appellate panel has to say. But I find it amazing. Here we have the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. These are the people in Washington that we rely upon to keep our food and drug supply safe. These are the people you think would not be bought off by big food, the food industry, by big pharma, the pharma industry. You would think that their sole mission is to protect the health of Americans by making sure that the food supply is safe, drugs that are approved are safe. And yet the FDA granted emergency youth youth. Use, not utes. I want to go back to my cousin Vinny. Two utes. Emergency use authorization for a vaccine in which they knew there were all sorts of side effects. Cardiac side effects, neurological side effects, clotting side effects, all sorts of side effects, and they just essentially look the other way. Now we're seeing states and even countries saying we're pulling it off. And those people that got third boosters and fourth boosters, we're seeing the effects of that. I regret taking the Wuhan virus vaccine. I took two of the Pfizer vaccines. Looking back at it, I absolutely regret it. And the reason that the FDA, in cahoots with criminal Dr. Joseph Mengele Fauci, They knew that if there was a treatment that was safe, efficacious, readily available, such as ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, they couldn't get emergency use authorization. And they all wanted to test these mRNA vaccines on a huge swath of the world's population. Did they protect Americans at that time? No. We see what goes on in the food supply. Do they protect Americans? No. Let me give you a perfect example. A friend of mine was transferred. and Not a friend. He's more of an acquaintance. We're not good buddies. We don't hang out, don't smoke cigars together, anything like that. But we're good friends. Again, going back, we're good acquaintances. In that, I'll see him out. We'll chit-chat. 
cordial, that kind of thing. So I had run into him a while back. I don't know, maybe last summer. And I said, you know, how's everything? What's going on? He said, oh, great. I said, I haven't seen you. I said, well, I was transferred to Italy with my company for an assignment. And he was there for six months. And then it got extended, he said. At my option, he said, if I wanted to stay another six months, I could stay. And he said, you know, I was having such a good time. And uh, they allowed me to come back, you know, all expenses paid business class to the U.S. twice a month if I wanted. But he said, you know, I'd come back like once a month, but go back. He said, I had a great time. And he figured it's the only time I'm going to be able to live overseas for a year. He had the opportunity to do it. He did it. He said, love living in Italy. Food was great. So we started chit-chatting about the food and start chit-chatting about what life was like living in Italy. And he said, I have to tell you, he said, I found myself walking more, but he said, I found myself also eating more, but eating differently. He said he was never a big breakfast eater. He'd have a little coffee and, you know, a, 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 a baguette or, or just a small pastry in the morning. But he said, I would eat a large lunch. He said, I would eat lunch about two o'clock. And it was like, a, you know, a two-hour deal. He said, we would sit, we would relax, we would talk business. But he said, I ate more, ate more pasta than I've ever eaten in my life. I ate more bread than I ever ate in my life. He said, I ate more veal than I ever ate in my life and more meat. But he said, something interesting happened. He said, within three months... Every time he'd get on the scale, he'd be losing weight. And he'd say to himself, how is this possible? Yes, I'm walking more, he would say, but I'm eating far more. And he said, that's why I would get on the scale, because I was worried. Because I'm eating all this pasta, I'm eating all this sauce, I'm eating, you know, all these vegetables, eating everything. And he said, you know, dinner was not huge, he said, but it was still, you know, pretty reasonably uh, filling. He said within three months, he was down 15 pounds. He said, I didn't do anything differently. Nothing. He said, I ate more, walked a little bit more, but in theory, I should have absolutely gained weight. He couldn't figure it out. And then when he came back to the U.S., and by the way, he lost, he told me, about 25 pounds in the year. And again, Eating left and right, eating big lunches, eating pretty decent dinners, not skimping on anything, didn't really watch himself. What was the difference within two months of coming back to the U.S.? The 25 pounds he had lost, he had picked back up 10 of the pounds. And he said, I couldn't figure it out. I'm eating less here in the U.S. He said, within another two months... I was, I had picked back up another five pounds. He said, I picked up 15. And he said, within six, every single ounce that I had lost, I had gained back. He couldn't figure it out. And then while he was talking to some other friends that went through the same thing, they did figure it out. They don't use the insecticides that we use here in the United States. Everything in Italy is primarily farm to table. Everything is fresh. They don't use the chemicals and all the other junk that we see in the processed foods here in the United States. And let me give you some examples of what is forbidden in the European Union, including Italy, 
what is banned, and what is allowed here in the United States. And when we look at the FDA, their sole mission should be to protect the food supply, make sure it's safe. Same thing with medications and drugs. Yet they're not doing so. They are derelict in their duty. Let me give you an example. Here are just some of the food ingredients that are banned in the European Union that are found every day in American food products that the FDA refuses to ban or regulate. Number one, potassium bromate. This is an additive, a chemical that strengthens dough is banned in the EU, China, and India, but not in the USA, causes cancer. And I looked at some of the breads I would buy. I would go to the supermarket here, Publix, and they have all these chemicals, potassium bromate. Now, in other places, I went to Whole Foods, I said, what's in there? Nope, just dough, water, this, that. We don't put chemicals. So potassium bromate. Go look at what is in your bread. Here's another ingredient banned in the European Union, but readily allowed in the United States. Azodicarbonamide, also known as the yoga mat chemical. It's used in bread and dough in the United States, banned in the EU due to possible respiratory issues and cancer in mice studies. Here's another item. BVO, brominated vegetable oil, banned in the EU, used in the USA to keep citrus flavoring from separating in drinks, linked to kidney and thyroid issues. Titanium dioxide. It's a whitening agent banned in the European Union for carcinogen effects. Still used in the U.S. in products like bread and candy. Interestingly enough, I buy these little mints and these key lime mints, uh, key lime pie mints. You know, they're like the white with the green or the white mints with the red. You see them everywhere. I happen to look at the ingredients. I'm going on Amazon to purchase more. And I keep them in candy bowls in the house, my office, whatever. What's one of the ingredients in there? Titanium dioxide. Now, even if you did not know that there's carcinogen effects of this chemical, the mere fact, just, just saying titanium dioxide, does that sound good? Does that sound like something you should ingest? The answer is absolutely not. Sudan dyes. These are dyes which can be found in some chili powders and sauces banned in the European Union due to their carcinogen effects. Propylparaben, preservative banned in the European Union due to its possible endocrine-disrupting effects. Still legal in the United States in personal care products and foods. When I read this about a month ago about these parabens and some of these other dyes, I started looking at some of the soaps I was using. Interestingly enough, I use like the Dial uh, Hydro Moisture or whatever, you know, the, the shower gel. Now they prominently display no dyes, no paraben, you know, all these other chemicals that have been found to be dangerous. And now you're seeing new soaps coming on the market, big lettering on the packaging, no paraben, no other chemicals. But for how many years did they allow those in? Artificial colors. Artificial colors such as red 40, yellow 5, yellow 6, are banned in the European Union due to their potential to cause hyperactivity in children 
and other health effects still used in the United States. I happen to be looking for foods while doing research for this. If you go into the supermarket in the United States and you purchase the Kraft macaroni and cheese, you will find and compare it to what is available in Great Britain or the European Union, night and day in terms of ingredients. Many of the ingredients found in the United States version, illegal, banned in the European Union and Great Britain. Why is that? Because they know that they're dangerous. Those products are harmful. Yet why does big food, whether it's Kraft, Nabisco, any of these other companies, why are they still putting garbage, chemicals in our foods? And they wonder why, despite Americans living longer, exercising more, we're more obese. I made a concerted effort, starting about a year ago, to really get rid of all processed foods. I have found my culinary skills have improved dramatically. I now, when I smoke meats, grill steaks, fish on the grill, whole fish, vegetables, I don't use any garbage. And in fact, even when I purchase olive oil, I make sure it is organic, not processed. Vegetable oils, garbage. Absolute garbage. All the oils that you see in food, In many restaurants, movie popcorn, horrible for you if you see how they make it. I saw a documentary on YouTube about how they make these processed, these these vegetable oils. Absolutely horrible. Why is it, Italians, Greeks, why is it they use more olive oil than anywhere else in the world and they're healthy, heart healthy? Because there's no insecticides. It's natural virgin pressed oil. No other additives, no other ingredients. I've watched some of the sprays that I would buy. I don't buy Pam, but some of the other olive oil sprays. It was a mixture of natural pressed olive oil and then processed olive oil. No thank you. What I ended up doing was buying on Amazon. I bought this glass container with a sprayer, Mr. And I got three of them. And I've got one for avocado oil, one for olive oil, and I have a third that I use for various other items. I can buy whatever oil I want, and I buy the 100% organic, 100% Italian olive oil or Greek olive oil without the garbage. Now, the FDA is worried about our cigars, a product that does not have any chemicals, that does not have any pesticides that does not have any dangerous chemical titanium dioxide or bromated vegetable oil or azodicarbonamide or potassium bromate or any of these other garbage chemicals you can't pronounce. There is nothing except natural cigar tobacco grown from the ground. We enjoy cigars in moderation, and yet the FDA has to worry about going after cigars, taxing cigars, regulating cigars, where there isn't all the garbage that you see in our food supply. Do they put user fees on on processed food? No, they're doing it on cigars. Do they regulate any of the chemicals? Clearly not. They are allowing big food to harm our health, and kill Americans. And they stand by and do nothing. 
tomorrow, the FDA commissioner could say, enough. We're going to follow the European Union guidelines. All the chemicals that are prevented from being put in the food supply in the European Union will not be allowed in the United States effective 60 days from now or 90 days from now. It could easily be done, but they won't do it. That's why when you look at the garbage in all food, I don't care if it's crackers, candy, any processed food. I mean, I was looking at soup. I was at Costco looking at at soup, their chicken soup. And I used to buy that chicken soup, very tasty, salty as hell. When I looked at the sodium, I'm like, no more, I'm going to make my own. But you look at all the chemicals and all the junk that you can't even pronounce in, in the soup or in other foods, and you ask yourself, why do they need to put all this garbage in there? The answer is, they don't. I make chicken soup the old-fashioned way, just like my grandmother used to make. I'd take carrots, and I'd take some onions, and I'd take celery, and I'd put it in a pot. And then I'd take no-salt-added chicken broth. And then I'd put a whole chicken, or I'll put half a chicken. And I'll put other, I could put noodles, but I make sure that the noodles, no chemicals, no garbage, easily could be done. And instead of the FDA concerning themselves with the two first letters that are in their name, food and drugs, they're concerned with those of us that enjoy cigars. I assure you, cigars in moderation are far better and far healthier for you than the junk and the chemicals that are allowed in our food supply in the middle of every supermarket. You go to produce, you know, most supermarkets, the first thing you see is fresh produce. Then it's usually the meat department and fish. Once you get past that, whether it's in the dairy section, or it's crackers, or in other food, even the frozen foods, all shit. Total, 100%, absolute shit for your, for your health. People say, oh, we shouldn't have steaks. Again, you get a steak. I like uh, a a pasture-raised or grass-fed steak. You get a steak with no antibiotics and all the other crap that they put in. Far healthier than eating any of the junk in 80% of the uh, the aisles in a supermarket. FDA, why don't you wake up and protect Americans from harmful food chemicals and additives and garbage poisonous vaccines? instead of picking on the cigar industry, people who enjoy cigars, adults in moderation. The Cigar Dave Show is presented by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the new Gurkha Pure Evil. Blended for cigar connoisseurs, able to handle a full-flavored cigar loaded with strength, power, and richness. Do not let the name fool you. Gurkha Pure Evil is pure cigar pleasure. Visit GurkhaCigars.com and by Davidoff of Geneva. And their Camacho portfolio of cigars, including the Camacho Triple Maduro, with a four-country blend of all Maduro tobaccos. Camacho Triple Maduro delivers an explosion of bold, earthy flavors, including cedar, pepper, and subtle sweetness. The Camacho Triple Maduro, available at DavidoffGeneva.com. As we continue here on the cigar, this edition of the Cigar Dave Show, last week I told you about Alyssa Milano. She went and did a post begging for $10,000 for her child's, her son, 12-year-old son's 
Little League team so they could go play in Cooperstown, New York, the home of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And of course, the backlash was immediate. Here's a multi-million dollar actress who's worth, and when you see these online accounts, maybe she's worth 10 million, you don't know, but I will assure you this. She's absolutely worth guaranteed a minimum of $10 million. Her husband is a big-time agent for CAA. They make huge money. Between them both, no ifs, ands, or buts. Their net worth is absolutely without any question in the 10 figures. Whether that's $10 million, $12 million, $15 million, $18 million, even if it's $8 million, $7 million, they have the wherewithal without any question, to stroke a check for the Suns baseball team. And even if she says, hey, it's, I don't want to do the whole thing, here's what you do. There's other parents, I'm sure, that can afford to do it. Or better yet, why don't you have the kids on the baseball team, these 12-year-old able kids, why don't you have them do what we did when we were growing up? We did fundraisers, whether it was bake sales or whether it was... I remember in in high school, we would sell donuts for the entire year. The junior class would sell donuts in the morning before school. We would start at 8.30, but at 8 o'clock, we would have a table set up, donuts. And at the time, the donuts were 25 cents. And I think we bought them for 10 cents a piece. That was in what, 1981, 8081? Freddy's Donuts in Buffalo. Oh, those peanut sticks I could go for right now. Mm-hmm. We sold enough in the morning and then between classes. Usually we would run out by about 10.30 to fund the senior class prom. That was a tradition at the school that I went to. The junior class would would handle the fundraisers and the senior class would reap the rewards. And I think we raised, this is back again in 1981, I think we raised about $12,000 doing that. That's a lot of damn donuts. And everybody was responsible, everybody in our class was responsible for a one-week period. They would have to be there, get there at 8 o'clock and set up. The donuts were delivered and make sure they were set up. Everybody volunteered. Everybody participated. Everybody worked. No problem. Do a bake sale. Sell donuts. Do a car wash. Tons and tons of ways that these 12-year-olds could have raised $10,000. But instead, let's go to GoFundMe and let's beg for clearly a team that has parents who can afford. Now, not maybe not everyone. Maybe not everyone, but certainly there were parents that could easily afford to stroke the check. Or at least say, I'll tell you what. Maybe five, six parents each get together and say, hey, you know what? We will each get together and we will each put in Let's say five parents will each put in a grand, and then let's do the other 5000 where the kids have to do fundraisers. No problem. Well, she was, I think, quite miffed when the backlash was apparent. And she came out publicly this week detailing the hurtful messages that her son received over the baseball trip fundraiser, saying the comments were horrid. Now, first of all, I, in no way, shape, or form, would go after a 12-year-old kid. That's not him. Alyssa Milano, who started the fundraiser, made a big Twitter post on it. That's the one you should direct your wrath towards. Secondly, 
Why is her son, why does he have an Instagram page that is not private and locked down? Go figure that one out. But she went on and said, every parent raises money for their child's sports teams, and many of them do throw so, do so through GoFundMe. I'm no different. Oh, yes, you are, sweetheart. When you have a massive net worth, and you want America, the rest of the country, to send your kid and your kid's baseball team to Cooperstown, New York, I'm sorry, when you can easily afford it and then beg for it, it's low class. It really is, to me, just, it's a bad look overall. She says, as much as I'd love to pay for the entire team and their families for travel, transportation, hotel, food and beverage, uniforms, trading pins, and all the uh, things teams do for this kind of trip, I cannot afford to do so. Maybe someday. Really? You are a highly compensated actress, been in multiple series, Your husband is a highly compensated, successful agent with CAA, and you can't swing 10 grand? You can't even swing five grand? Please spare me. I'll guarantee you that her her, her Starbucks bill is at least five grand for the year. Regardless of how you feel about me, she goes on to say, going on to my hardworking 12-year-old son's Instagram page and leaving these kinds of messages is so horrid. Leave the kids alone. Let them play baseball. Well, I ask you this. Why is your son's page public and not private? Maybe, Alyssa, you should have made sure your son's page was locked down. I do not condone going after the kid and putting messages on his Instagram or Facebook page or whatever it was. But we seem to be living in this world today when nobody wants to take personal responsibility. That no matter what you do, let's just go out and do a GoFundMe. Something happens to me, I'm not going to dig into my savings. Let's put a GoFundMe uh, page up. And we see this over and over again. Now, I understand if somebody is in difficult circumstances or some unforeseen scenario or situation happens. I get that. But what I don't get are these people that think it's okay to put up a GoFundMe page, which is essentially begging for 10 grand to send her kid and her kid's baseball team to Cooperstown. If they can't raise the funds, guess what? Hard lesson in life. Sorry, kids, you can't go. You want to go? You have to earn it. And here's another example of this. And I'm seeing this all over. And the more, every time I see a GoFundMe page, and I see this more and more, where you read an article and somebody will put a GoFundMe page for things that they should take care of. They should have personal responsibility. And I'm not talking about certain emergencies or unforeseen scenarios. But here's a perfect example. Mary Lou Retton, you will remember her. Because she was, or is, was a, a big-time athlete. She was a, found instant fame as a 16-year-old Olympian when during the 1984 Los Angeles Games, she won uh, gold medals in gymnastics. First American woman to win an Olympic individual all-around gold medal when she edged out Romania's Ekaterina Sabo. You saw her on Wheaties boxes. You saw her in commercials. She would make appearances on TV shows, uh, guest appearances on TV shows. 
in-demand speaking, a speaker getting, what, 10, 15, 20, 30 grand for speeches? She's now 56. In 2018, she divorced her husband, walked away with approximately $2 million. Also, she had a hip replacement, or two metal hip replacements, and apparently there were issues with the the uh, hips that were replaced, the actual metal hips, big lawsuit, nationwide lawsuits, and the average settlement has been so far $2 million for each patient. So she was expected to receive a payout of $2 million. Further, she had a home in West Virginia, bought for $150,000, she and her husband. They sold it for... $600,000. So she's got assets. Now, 56 years old, 55, whatever, you'd say, okay, I need to make sure that I have health insurance. I need to make sure that if something happens to me that I'm covered. She's got the money. Did she get health insurance? The answer is no. Whose problem is that? Is it your problem? Is it my problem? Is it anyone else's problem? The answer is no. Especially when she has the means, the wherewithal, to afford health insurance. She uh, had a very, very bad bout of pneumonia recently. I'm sure you've heard about it. She was uh, in the ICU, a rare form of pneumonia, and her daughter posted on the fundraising platform SpotFund last October My amazing mom, Mary Lou, has a very rare form of pneumonia and is fighting for her life. She's not able to breathe on her own. She's been in the ICU for over a week now. Out of respect for her and her privacy, I will not disclose all details. However, I will disclose that she is not insured. I'm sorry. Why is that anyone else's problem? Especially when she comes out of a divorce settlement with two million bucks and has a they think the settlement she got from this, this hip replacement lawsuit was $2 million. And she had additional assets, other homes that she sold. The fundraiser asked for $50,000. It raised $500,000, 10 times that amount. More than 8,000 other people gave smaller amounts. Now, My question is this. Why did she not have health insurance? Someone like her probably would have cost $1,000 a month that age. She can't swing that. And by the way, the Speakers Bureau that represents her says that they get between $25,000 and $35,000 for an appearance, for a speech. Now, she wanted $50,000, raised $500,000. Well, where's the rest going? It's going to her. Who's it going to? Now, this is what I find amazing. She goes on the Today Show with NBC anchor Hoda Kotb, said that she faced death in her eyes while in intensive care. Now, I listen, I don't want, I wish her to be in, in intensive care or for anybody to have a health issue. But my question is, why? did you not take the personal responsibility to ensure that you had health coverage? 
She goes on in that interview, she says, I'm blessed to be here because there's a time when they were about to put me on life support. I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford it, she said in the interview uh, this uh, last year, on January 8th, about a month ago. But who would even know that this was going to happen to me? That's the bottom line. I couldn't afford it. In the interview with the Today Show, on the Today Show, she claimed she couldn't afford insurance as a recently divorced woman with pre-existing health conditions. Let's call one giant bullshit on that. Because as we all know that in the 2014 Affordable Care Act, more commonly referred to as Obamacare, it bans insurance companies from rejecting customers based on previous medical conditions. That was the big thing at the time. When people said, hey, I can't get health insurance, I want to buy it, but I can't. And the one good thing I will say about the Obamacare plan is that now everybody could get health insurance. And it forbade using any pre-existing conditions from charging higher premiums. Also, if you can't afford health coverage, there are the exchanges that offer coverage that can't afford certain insurance plans. So there were multiple ways. So this nonsense, she said that she had pre-existing conditions, that's bullshit. She couldn't afford it. You walked away with two plus million in your divorce, not including the houses. Oh, and a $40,000 Porsche that you got. And what is most likely a $2 million settlement from the device manufacturer of your hip replacements. You can't afford it, but yet you want to go on and tell everyone else to fund your your $50,000 medical bill, maybe more, whatever it is, and you raise $500,000? Where's that additional four fifty dollars going? This is an entitlement-based society we now live in. I don't want to pay for health insurance, even though I can afford it, despite her bullshit saying I can't afford it, that she has pre-existing conditions, which we all know. Anybody can get health insurance, no matter what your condition, because of the law. But now all of a sudden, I don't want to take personal responsibility because I'd rather go and take trips or do something, spend my money somewhere else, but now I need you all, in a moment of begging, to pick up the tab from my stay in the hospital in the ICU. Can you imagine just the gall that it would take to do that? That if somebody's worth three, four million dollars to walk in and say or or to post, hey, I didn't buy health insurance, so I need you to all pick up the tab. And you know what? There are many good-hearted Americans that said she was a, 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 a legend. She represented this country. 8,000 people donated. What does that tell you? And I'm sure there were people that donated that maybe 10, 20, 50 bucks was probably a stretch. Maybe they had to cut something else out. The unmitigated gall that we are seeing, this entitlement, where I'm not responsible for anything, that if you incur a student loan debt, you shouldn't have to pay. Let the government, let everybody else bail you out. You buy a house and make a bad decision. Well, I shouldn't have to pay that house loan, that mortgage. Let someone else pick it up. The entitlement scenario that we are living in 
is destructive to this country. And while these Give, Send, Go and these other raising money platforms absolutely have a place for those that maybe have hard times, legitimately, I'm not talking about someone worth three, four million. Someone has some sort of issues that come up. You put a Give, Send, Go or a GoFundMe and friends, associates say, no problem. I've done that. Where somebody that I knew had a got into a very, very bad health, catastrophic health situation, wonderful person, and a relative posted something saying, if you can, great. This is unexpected. No problem. I had absolutely no qualms about doing it. But for a woman who's worth four plus million dollars, getting twenty-five to thirty-five thousand dollars for a speech, we should feel sorry for her. I feel sorry that she had that rare form of pneumonia, but I don't feel sorry that she didn't have health insurance. That's her problem. And when we see an Alyssa Milano saying, We need you, you all need to fund my kids' trip and his team to Cooperstown, even though I'm worth $10, $20 million. Mary Lou Retton, I got in the hospital. I had this this rare form of pneumonia. I was in the ICU. I didn't have health insurance. I need you all to pick up the tab. It is pathetic. Pathetic. But this is exactly the climate we are living in. It is an entitlement-based society now. And what did Joe Biden do, even though the Supreme Court struck down his ability to just forgive billions and billions, as Bernard Sanders would say, billions and billions of dollars worth of student debt? He comes up with some other cockamamie plan. So if you played by the rules, you went to college, you took out student loans, you took out a second job, or maybe a third job, or you cut down on taking trips or living large so that you could pay down your student loan, you're the one now that gets penalized, whereas people that were deadbeats that said, I'm not going to pay it, I'm not going to bother, I'm not going to stop taking my, my trips and, and, and drinking my $7 Starbucks lattes. No, let everybody else pay it. I'm entitled. The school screwed me. I didn't know it was going to cost that much baloney. Everybody knows when you sign. You want a degree, and maybe you should, if, if you're going to a Harvard or a Yale at 70000 a year, maybe you should look at a return on investment. If you're going to be, oh, I don't know, say a liberal arts major where you basically have no specific skill when you leave college and you rack up a quarter million in student debt, and maybe you're going to make 50 grand a year, maybe you should think about that. But the mere fact that now everybody is entitled and that the rest of society should pick up the tab for their poor decisions, wrong. It needs to be called out. I didn't see that interview on the Today Show, but I can guarantee you if it were me doing the interview, I'd say, Mary Lou, everybody I'm sure feels terrible, horrible that you had to undergo that. We don't wish that on anyone. But why should everyone else, why should you beg when you are worth two to four plus million dollars and you made a bad decision not to pay for health care? Maybe you ought to take the fifty or a hundred thousand that you've got in your bank accounts and you pick up the tab, not everyone else. Absolute unmitigated goal. We call that maximum chutzpah level. 
MCL, maximum chutzpah level. It is absolutely outrageous. When you got two, three, four, five, ten million, instead of going on GoFundMe, you pick up the tab. End of discussion. Gurkha has long been the king when it comes to opulent, grandly made cigars. And the new Gurkha Pure Evil more than lives up to that legacy. Gurkha originally launched the Pure Evil 15 years ago as a limited edition cigar. They went back to their blend vault. They tweaked the blend to add more flavor, more complexity. The result is a Gurkha Pure Evil that is loaded with flavor, full body, Full notes of richness. Habano wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, Nicaraguan filler. Don't let the name fool you. The Gurkha Pure Evil is pure cigar pleasure. Gurkha, the world's finest cigars. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. Unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy. It's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. I have selected a cigar that was given to me by Willie Herrera, who is the master blender for Drew Estate, and he has got a line of cigars called Herrera Esteli. And for several years, he was the master blender working with Sandy Cobus at El Titan de Brands Cigar Factory down in Little Havana, Miami. Cayocho, one of my favorite stops when I head down to Miami. And I want a cigar that is going to pair nicely with my libation selection, which is a straight rye whiskey. So, I have selected the Herrera Esteli Miami Robusto Grande. Five and a quarter inches in length, 52 ring gauge. It is a medium plus to full-bodied cigar. Uses a very, very dark Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper. Dominican fillers, Sumatra binder. Beautiful cigar. Just a lot of flavor, a lot of strength. Fantastic stick. It's going to go perfectly with the rye whiskey that I have selected. And in addition to the Herrera Esteli Miami, they also have the Herrera Esteli the Herrera Esteli Cuadrado. So they have some various other ones that are different flavors, different uh, for different palettes, but just a great cigar. Most of them made in Nicaragua, the Herrera Esteli. They've got the Brazilian, they've got the Herrera Esteli, the original, and the Herrera Esteli Miami, which is absolutely magnificent. Suggested retail, $14 for this stick. Again, Herrera Esteli Miami Robusto Grande, my featured cigar selection today. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Self-sharpening. Double-edged. Stainless steel guillotine ready for cigar-cutting maneuvers. All right, where is my litation device? I've got it here somewhere. Wait a minute. Uh, it's underneath my pile somewhere. Oh, here it is. Got it. I had it under some of my notes. 
All right, this is from the Cigar Dave R&D Laboratories, and this particular litation device is what we call the grenade. Looks like a hand grenade. Giant torch. In fact, I have used this to light pellets. I've got several smoke tubes that I fill with pellets for my pellet smoker when I'm smoking brisket or ribs or whatever I'm using. And I've got these tubes. You fill them with pellets, and you've got to you've got to light. It takes about three minutes to really get those pellets going, and then you have to let it stay on fire for about five, ten minutes, and then it gets nice and hot, hot enough that you essentially can go and. Uh, Put that smoke tube, lay it down so you've got you know that that smoke billowing out for the next five, six, seven, eight hours. So this particular litation device does the trick. You can adjust the air flame mixture. Got it set at a nice wide flame, nice swath to cover the foot of the cigar. That's what I will use today on my Herrera Esteli Miami Robusto Grande. Cigar, cigar pre-litation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut, as always. Love this cutter. Works like a charm. And now, I'm going to toast the foot of this Herrera Esteli Miami. Taking my time. And the band says Herrera Esteli by Drew Estate. It's in uh, almost a darkish brown gold around it, and then underneath there's a secondary band that says Miami. Can't miss it. Taking my time. Nice 52 ring gauge, 52, 64, 7 inch in diameter. Just listen to that flame. Mm. Oh, I can smell the first few wafts of that fantastic smoke coming from the litation. I will now puff and rotate. Mm. Oh yeah, heaven. Absolutely sensual, mm. erotic. Mm. Mm. Oh, mm. I like the blow on the foot of this cigar. Got one area I want to touch up. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm. I'm getting mm. some beautiful notes. Right off the bat, of some rich espresso. Mm. Nice. Mm. Subtle notes of maybe a little sweetness, a little bit of. Mm. Mm. Almost like a nutty type of taste. Very, very pleasant. Beautiful aroma around me. Now I need something that will go perfectly. With this Herrera Esteli Miami, and I have got just the libation. Scotch, bourbon, beer. This is the Bold Alpha Weekly Spirits Tasting on the Cigar Dave Show. All right, I have just pulled out from the Command Center Alpha Humidor 1A bar area. A bottle that was sent to me, this has got to be about a year and a half or so ago, was sent to me by the founder of Hartman's Distilling Company in my hometown of Buffalo, New York. And it was sent to me by Justin Hartman, who is the master blender and co-founder of Hartman's Distilling. Got a great uh, facility down in, on Chicago Street, just south of downtown, actually not far from where we uh, did uh, Buffalo River Works, from where we did many Alpha Pleasure Fests in my hometown. 
This is the Hartman's Distilling Straight Rye Whiskey. Non-chill filtered, single barrel, distinctively bold. This is barrel six, bottle number 34. And this absolutely has some nice heft to it. Definitely not what I would be considered, what would be considered a mild spirit. It's got a lot of richness, a lot of personality. Rye was the really original American uh, spirit before they used corn for bourbon. Rye was everywhere, especially along the East Coast. But this is a big and brash spirit. This version is aged in new charred American white oak barrels for a minimum of four years. It's got what they say is a bold, thick pepper taste with a bit of spice. I would agree with every single word of that. In 2021, the Hartman's Straight Rye Whiskey was awarded the double gold medal at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, making it the highest awarded whiskey out of New York State. $49.99 suggested at retail. And they also have a straight bourbon whiskey. They're sourcing their bourbon right now from MGP in Indiana, big distillery. But they do have their own distillery, and they are starting to lay down their own juice, as I call it. In fact, I'm just looking at a picture here of their uh, tasting room. And in the background, you can see they've got a big copper still. So they are doing their own distilling. Hartman's Distilling, very cool place. Got a nice uh, outdoor area. Wouldn't advise it this time of year, but certainly in the spring, summer, early fall. Great place to have maybe a sip of this Hartman's beautiful looking straight rye whiskey along with a cigar. So let me go ahead and pour it here. Oh, wow. Pear right on the nose. Ooh, getting some nice sweetness, almost a honey pear type of aroma. Very, very pleasant. Mm, nice, what I would consider to be a caramel gold color. I'll say cheers. Mm. Oh, yeah. Definitely notice the rye. A lot of warmth on the CD WF scale. That's the Cigar Day warmth factor. This is definitely about a 9.5. A lot of warmth going down. Some nice notes of almost a honey type of sweetness on the sides of my tongue. Mm. A little peppery. Bold, very nice. Now let me take a puff of my cigar here. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Very nice. Perfect combination. Can't go wrong. Got why uh, Esteli Herrera, Miami. Now take a sip of the Hartman's Straight Rye. Mm. Very, very pleasant. Now, I'm looking for the proof on this right here. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, I do not see the proof. Wait a minute. Maybe I can find it on the bottle here. Maybe it's on the top. Uh, I, oh, here it is. 90 proof, so hand bottled at 45% alcohol by volume. So 90 proof, not overly uh, aggressive. We've had 100, 110 proofs. This is nice, very pleasant. I would say if you like a whiskey that's going to have some sweetness, but some nice pepper notes, warmth, some boldness at the same time, absolutely would highly recommend this. Very, very pleasant, and it goes great. Mm.
with this fantastic Ecuadorian Oscuro wrapper. Can't go wrong with a medium to full-bodied cigar with uh, some bold peppery notes with his Hartman's Distilling Straight Rye Whiskey. Fantastic. I'm thoroughly enjoying this. The final and concluding segment of this edition of The Cigar Dave Show comes your way next. Maduro cigar wrappers are known for their unique complexity of flavor that include richness, spiciness, and subtle notes of sweetness. Now, if you take a Maduro wrapper and make an entire cigar of Maduro wrapper and Maduro binder, Maduro filler, what do you get? The Camacho Triple Maduro, a Mexican San Andreas Maduro wrapper, a Mexican Corojo Maduro binder, and then Maduro fillers from Honduras, the Dominican Republic, and Brazil. You get a cigar that is dark, Rich, full-on flavor, medium to full-bodied, with notes of cedar, roasted nuts, some pepper, and a subtle sweetness. The Camacho Triple Maduro, available at DavidoffGeneva.com. Stanford, Connecticut School Board hates veterans. Why? And the proof is in the pudding. They have voted to remove Columbus Day and Veterans Day from the list of school holidays. Public schools are now a cesspool of Marxist anti-American indoctrination. This we know. Not only public schools, grade schools middle schools, high schools, colleges, it is rampant. We are producing students, American youth, that hate this country. They are brainwashed. They are indoctrinated. They hate America. They hate our founding fathers. They even hate Abraham Lincoln. These people, these kids now are so brainwashed and stupid, they don't realize it was Abraham Lincoln that signed the Emancipation Proclamation and went to a a war with the southern part of the country to eradicate slavery. But yet, we see people protesting, saying, we need to remove the statue of Abraham Lincoln. This is how stupid America's youth have become because they've been indoctrinated. The decision to remove Columbus Day and Veterans Day from the list of school holidays passed with a 5-3 vote overruling previous year's pushback from local veterans groups and Italian-Americans. The motion was supported by five enemies of America. Their names, I want to repeat their names so we know exactly who they are. Joshua Esses, Michael Hyman, Gabriella Koch, K-O-C. I'm not making that up. Versha Munshi South. Hmm. Maybe it should be Versha, Versha Munchy Moron. And Antonio Better Hyphen Words. Love these hyphenated broads. Now, the excuse they use was that if we remove these holidays, we could advoc- we can create a shorter school year, arguing that a 181-day calendar extending into mid-June was too long. When I went to school, now this is up north, every school would end mid-June, and we would start the Wednesday after Labor Day. So we got... The second half of June off, all of July, 
all of August and usually the first week of September, depending on when Labor Day fell. Now in the South, they get out early. They get out usually around early to mid-May, but they go back in mid-August. So it's a different calendar. But we always went, got out the middle of June, went back Wednesday after Labor Day. So I don't know how many days they're going to think they're, they're cutting by uh, from the school year by getting rid of these two holidays. And that is an excuse. They hate veterans, and they hate clearly Italian-Americans. They hate Christopher Columbus. Munchie South, Munchie-South, or Munchie Moron, as we will call her, said the students were using primary sources to investigate the true history of Columbus, and I can tell you that, based on primary source research, no, they did not conclude that Columbus was a hero. I don't think it makes sense to teach students one thing in a class and then have Columbus stay off. It's a mixed message for students. No, it's not. Absolutely not. The discovery of the new world is nothing that we should be ashamed of. Not at all. In fact, the discovery of the new world, specifically North America, and what is now the United States, change the world for the better. Doesn't mean that the country was perfect. Doesn't mean that we haven't had our issues. But when you look at all these significant achievements and accomplishments the United States of America has delivered to the world, I think Christopher Columbus discovering the new world was an absolutely celebratory day, celebratory moment. But yet, here we have a group that hate America. They are enemies of America. Veterans Day, you're going to cancel? A time to honor and recognize the sacrifices made by military veterans? These are the heroes that put their lives at risk, that spend time away from their family, that when called to duty, they rise to the occasion, no matter what the conflict, whether it was World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam... Desert Storm, Afghanistan, Iraq, whatever. To diss veterans, it's unacceptable. Same thing with Columbus, Indigenous People Day. Cut the bullshit, Indigenous People's Day. It's Columbus Day. I don't apologize for calling it Columbus Day. I don't apologize for recognizing Veterans Day. And I certainly don't apologize for observing Memorial Day and the manner in it, it which it should be observed. But yet we see these woke school boards and these woke morons that hate America. They are Marxists. They are, absolute, they are absolutely hell-bent on indoctrinating and destroying the minds of American youth. We're seeing it all over the place. I mean, look at all the... The, the kids you see that call Israel an oppressive country, apartheid, horseshit. That's what it is. They are uneducated, indoctrinated buffoons. And it starts right at the top. Braindead Joe Biden, Hussein Barack Obama. It all started with, though, actually started before that. It started with the communists that infiltrated the American State Department, the American government after World War II. And by the way, everybody says, oh, Joe McCarthy, terrible. Joe McCarthy exposed a shit ton of communists that were prevalent in government. Still is today. So if anybody says, oh, Joe McCarthy was a bad guy, well, maybe some of his tactics. But what he exposed was absolutely true. 
You have to remember one thing. Your American government hates you. The Senate hates you. Your congressman hates you. Look at the bullshit bill they're trying to pass today, this week in the Senate, saying, oh, we're going to have a border security bill that will still allow 1.8 million illegal aliens to come and cross the border. How stupid is Fossil McConnell? That's what Mitch McConnell, the guy is a fossil. It's time to go, Mitch. It is time to go. And Lankford, the senator from Oklahoma now, complicit in this, saying, oh, people are, 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 are criticizing this bill. They've never seen it. Well, maybe it's because you've purposely kept it secretive. You haven't released it to any of your colleagues. Wonder why that is. I'll tell you why. The text has been ready for three months. They don't want to release it because they know it's a terrible bill. They know they want to slam it down, cram it down, before any American has the chance to see it. Your government hates you. The CIA hates you. The FBI hates you. The Department of Justice hates you. The Biden, I call it O-Biden because it's Obama and Biden. Obama's calling the shot. The regime hates you. If you are a patriotic American, they absolutely despise you. And most congressmen and most senators hate you too. That is a fact. Isn't it amazing that in a country of 350 people, we're essentially ruled by, what, uh, 300 and... About 465, plus the administration, so I don't know, maybe add another 300, maybe a 1,000 idiots, a 1,000 absolute schmucks. It is amazing. We are now looking at a $35 trillion deficit with another $5 trillion coming this year, and Congress sits and says, no problem, keep, keep spending, there's no problem. Oh, there will be a problem, because we will never pay that money back. And now when we will no longer be the de facto world's currency, the dollar, now with this BRICS movement going on, getting away from the dollar, it's all over. When you're no longer the de facto currency, you can't print that money anymore, just the way the Fed has been doing. It's a giant Ponzi scheme. If you think that Bernard Madoff was a criminal and a con man, you haven't seen the Federal Reserve and Congress, because they're going to be printing money that is worthless. No ifs, ands, or buts. All right, I got on a little tangent. Lastly, finally, this is a classic. Talking about calling the kettle black. President Braindead Obama, a correction, O'Biden, has now threatened Venezuela with sanctions. If they do not allow a fair election and do not allow the opposition candidate to run against communist dictator bastard Nicolas Maduro, Venezuela is an absolute disaster area. Their people are starving. What was once a wealthy nation loaded with natural resources, oil, other resources, taken over around 2000 by... Uh, Hugo Chavez destroyed the Venezuelan economy, created a Marxist hellhole. People can't escape fast enough. And every time there's a supposed election, what does Maduro do? He finds a way to get rid of the opposing candidate, whether exiling them, jailing them, or confining them to house arrest. Here's a perfect example. Nicolas Maduro has, there's an election coming up. 
And the opposition figures have tried everything to get a fair chance to defeat Maduro at the ballot box. Every turn, they have been thwarted. As I said, some were arrested, wound up in jail on bullshit charges. Gee, does that sound familiar, like something hap- uh, something's happening here? Lawfare, using lawfare against your political opponent? Sounds familiar. Others were told they weren't allowed to run. Others were threatened. The latest in this long series of election travesties involves Maria Corina Machado, candidate who supports free markets instead of the socialist economy, which has resulted in massive inflation, more than 7 million Venezuelans trying to flee the country. She's very well liked. In October, she was the overwhelming winner in a 10-candidate race to become the main opposition candidate in the next presidential election. One slight problem, one issue. Nicolas Maduro's government announced prior to the opposition election that Machado was forbidden from holding office for 15 years. Why? Simple. Maduro considers her a threat. She could win the election. So, what do you do? You prevent her from running. Can't run, can't hold an office for 15 years. And of course, the absolute joke of a kangaroo Venezuelan Supreme Court upheld Maduro's order, saying that Machado should not be allowed to hold office for 15 years, meaning the number one opposing candidate can't run. She is being held in home captivity. Anybody that helps her is being punished or arrested. That's the Marxist communist way. What we are seeing in Venezuela, we are seeing here in the United States. No difference between the Venezuelan kangaroo corrupt court, uh, Supreme Court, the D.C. Circuit Court, all corrupt, all kangaroo courts, stacked with ultra-leftist Obama liberals. Really, socialist Marxists is what they are. And yet, O'Biden has the absolute unmitigated gall to threaten sanctions if Venezuela doesn't allow the opposition candidate to run. Talking about calling the kettle black, what in the world do you think that O'Biden and his minions are doing to President Trump? The same damn thing, using lawfare, coming up with all sorts of garbage, all sorts of nonsense. Just throw more charges at them and hope they stick. When you can't beat your opponent at the ballot box, the Democrats believe you have to beat him in court with bogus bullshit charges. They know that the American people are on to the Democrats' con. They know that the economy is terrible. Inflation is rampant. The border is an absolute disaster. We are being invaded. Seven, eight million illegals. Look what happened in New York. That group of four or five Honduran illegal aliens, not migrants, let's call them what they are, illegal alien scumbag cockroaches that are infesting this country, beat up two cops, they're arrested, the judge lets them out, no bail, and they're giving the finger as they're walking past TV cameras. You tell me, does that make sense that we're allowing these deadbeat illegal aliens into this country, allowing that? And I got news for you. People in the black community, the Hispanic community, the inner cities, Democrats, people that have traditionally voted Democrats, they see right through this nonsense. They are fed up when it's costing them the ability to get housing or to have 
daycare centers for kids closed and being taken over by illegal aliens, recreational centers being taken over by illegal aliens, airports. It is an absolute travesty. And this is not, we hear people saying, oh, there's no, there's no American replacement theory going on. Sure it is. They're spreading all these illegal alien uneducated deadbeats. They're spreading them throughout the country. They want them in congressional districts because of the next census. Remember, it's not citizens that they count, it's people. And the congressional districts are based on the number of people. So New York, you're getting all these illegal alien deadbeats. What do they do? Well, let's just let's just stack them in New York. We'll stack them in other places. Let's send them to other countries. We're sending them to red states so that they can try to flip traditionally red districts. Everywhere you look around, they're infiltrating like maggots. You see what's going on in Texas? They found a way to secure the border, put up barbed wire. I'll tell you what I would do. I'd electrify the fence and have an order shoot to kill. You cross over, you have big signs in every goddamn language that's available. You cross this border, we shoot to kill. That would end it in two seconds flat. All it takes, one person gets whacked, nobody will cross that border. And for Biden to sit there and say, oh, I need this bill to to have the authority to close the border, baloney. People are fed up. I'm fed up. You're fed up. Every taxpayer is fed up. Enough is enough. Your government hates you. That's what it boils down to. And I hate to end the show on a negative note like that because you know I'm very positive. I always believe in being optimistic, glasses half full type of person. But what we see going on today, especially with the lawfare being used against Republicans. Oh, by the way, in Oregon, 10 Republicans, Supreme Court, which is all Democrat, all leftists in Oregon, are saying that these 10 10 Republican legislators who did not show up because they did not want a session to go on uh, because of what the Democrats were doing, so they prevented a quorum from taking place. They're not being allowed to run. Well, that's going to go to the Supreme Court. You know that's going there. But this is what we're seeing everywhere. And by the way, if you think that the Democrats are going to stop at just President Trump, when I hear Nimarada Holy, because she is a hoe, as they say, and by the way, when you see the what has taken place in South Carolina with her, screwing around while her military... She always loves to talk about her military husband. She was fucking around with two guys who have signed sworn affidavits saying, oh yeah, one did it in a cattle... One, one, one person said, uh, one, the news people said, oh well, you know, according, supposedly she did it in a Cadillac es- uh, uh, Escalade with you. He said, no, it was a Cadillac SRX. He knew everything. She was screwing around. Nimarada Holy, not Haley, Holy as an A-Ho. She has the nerve saying, oh, well, Trump can't win. I mean, he's got all these cases. Do you think for a second if she would be the nominee that the Democrats would stop at President Trump? They would go after her just as brutally. This is the stupidity these Republicans think, these rhinos. Oh, we can work bipartisan. We can work together. Whenever the Democrats say, let's be bipartisan, what they're saying is, we want the old rhino Republicans to roll over and get on their knees and perform fellatio on us. That's what they're really saying. They don't want it. There's no such thing as bipartisanship. And when the Republicans vote in a, in a, in a straight line method along party lines, the Dems bitch and moan, oh, we need bipartisanship. Yet the Democrats never, never 
extend any branch of bipartisanship whatsoever. It's time for the Republicans to grow a giant set of titanium nads and play Smash Mouth. Don't play patty cake, play Smash Mouth. Play not to win, play to destroy the enemy Democrats, because that's what the Democrats are. They are enemies of America. And with that, I shall end this edition of the Cigar Dave Show. Cigar Dave, the general saying, Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ash be extra, extra long. Semper Delicatio, always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Screw the Marxists. Hashtag Trump 2024. Hashtag screw the Democrats. As always, I say that is all.